I am so obsessed with Saqqara.com, their meal delivery service. It's all plant-based. It's all organic, gluten-free, so easy. It's all pre-prepared. You just have to, some of them put it in the oven for a little bit, but it's so easy. It's so good. They have three-day meal plans, five-day, or you could have a subscription and get it weekly, breakfast, lunch, dinner, or maybe only lunch or dinner. I also use their metabolism powder. It helps with bloating. It helps curb cravings, and it helps your energy level. And then I also use these um, water drops now. It's beauty drops, and there's another one, detox drops, and you just put it in your water and it helps hydrate you. The detox ones also have chlorophyll in it, so good. And then now I have their protein and greens powder and I add that to my smoothies in the morning. And it also gives me the protein I need, all plant-based protein and my greens. And I highly recommend it. Go to their website, www.sakara.com and at checkout, put in my discount code XO Nikki Wellness. This is all capital letters. Also, this will be in my show notes, their website, and my 20% off discount code. Sit back and listen and enjoy my podcast about health, wellness, fitness, yoga, business, and life. I talk about everything from ways of eating healthy, mindfulness, yoga, working out, manifesting, to pop culture, momming, adulting. I try to have fun and laugh at myself along the way of my sometimes stressed out and frazzled life. This is Fit, Fun, and Frazzled, and I am your host, Nikki Lanigan. This is episode 138 on Fit, Fun, and Frazzled, and I'm your host, Nikki Lanigan. I'm really excited about today's episode. My guest is Jen Zwink. This episode is about turning tragedy, loss, and grief into strength and a new passion for life. It's all about my interview with Jen Zwink. She is so inspiring. Her story is extremely tragic. Um, In 2011, Jen's husband, Brent, attended a bachelor party for a friend, and while walking back to his hotel, he was attacked, robbed, and killed. She instantly became a young widow, left to raise their two-year-old daughter alone. This, she talks about her story and how she overcame grief and anxiety over the loss. She had to figure out how to heal, how to find relief from the excruciating pain of loss, how to navigate life as a solo mom. And it's just really inspiring. It's really, I recommend it for everyone, not only for if you're a widow, but anyone that is dealing with grief and trauma right now. Jen also has a podcast. Her podcast is Widow 180, and she has a lot of courses. She has um, courses such as the How to Rebuild Confidence After Loss online course, the Finding Purpose and Meaning After Loss program for widows. It's a four-week program the Rediscovery Through Writing Program for Widows, and that is also a four-week program. Like I said, she has a podcast. It's called Widow 180. You can find her online at www.widow180.com. And you could also go to widowsquad.com. All of this will be in the show notes also. So if you like this episode, please leave a rating, review, please share it with someone that you think needs to hear this. Please share it with a friend, a family member, anyone going through grief and trauma right now. And um, thanks guys for listening as always. Hi guys, welcome back to Fit, Fun, and Frazzle. Today my guest is Jen Zwink. Good morning, Jen. Thank you so much for coming on and joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Nikki, this is going to be so fun. I'm so glad to be here. I know. Um, So let's just get right into it. And you have a very trying story that I want you to share with everyone and who you are, your background, and how you get to 
the company you founded and you have a podcast also, but um, I'll let you take it over and tell us okay. about yourself. So when I think about my life, I think about my life being divided into these two distinct parts, right? <clears throat> I have my life before my husband was killed and then I have my life after. So there's this clear divide between who I was before and mm -hmm. who I am now. Um, a very big distinct difference because I have changed so much. That experience has changed me so much. And <clears throat> excuse me, today, I guess I call myself a few different things. I call myself um, first and foremost, a widow advocate, um, a hope dealer, mm -hmm. a radical encourager, mm -hmm. um, all for other widows. Everything that I do now um, is to help other widows. But in 2020, I started my podcast, Widow 180, the podcast. And I called it Widow 180 because I wanted to display these stories of hope and right. to show the strength and the resilience that people go through um, after loss and to show other widows that there is the possibility for a beautiful, wonderful life after loss. Because when you're in it, when you're so deep in grief, you mm -hmm. just don't see that that's possible. You don't see it's possible. And so <clears throat> my goal in that, my whole mission with the podcast was to spread these stories of hope. And it's changed my life, really. Um, it's opened up so many doors and so many opportunities as far as helping other women. Um, and it's it's really been like the most fulfilling thing that I've ever done. Um, yeah. It's, it's changed me in that um, it showed me that we need this connection. We are not meant to grieve alone. Mm -hmm. We are not meant to do it alone. And um, so because of the podcast, I have been able to connect and reach so many women. And um, just last year, I started, I co-founded with two other widows, <clears throat> the Widow Squad community, um, where we get together, we share laughs, we share stories, we share inspiration. Basically, the main thing, though, is that it's a place where you can come and say, is this normal? You know, yeah. You just want to feel like you're normal and that what you're going through is normal and that you feel so isolated after loss. Mm -hmm. that, um, you just need that validation and, and you need the help. So yeah. um, it's, it's a great place to come and connect with other widows. Um, I've also done some courses, put out some courses. Um, and then I, I wrote a book about grief during the holidays because that's pretty huge. Yeah. Um, just all of these different aspects that grief affects that we don't realize it until you go through it. Mm -hmm. Don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Once you get there, you know, you, it affects mental health, physical, all of these different parts of your life, financial, everything, everything mm -hmm. changes. And, um, and so it's just nice to have that support where you can ask any questions about any aspect of it and, and have a resource and have those answers available to you Yeah, so that you don't feel so lost and so flailing. Like you're just, you have nowhere to turn, you know, mm -hmm. um, there's a study, I was going to share this with you. And I don't know if you've heard of this before, but <clears throat> it's called the Holmes Reiki stress inventory test. So oh, I haven't heard this. So it's this stress scale where it's a rating scale. So it ranks um, the most stressful life events that you could possibly go through in a person's life. So the number one on that list is the death of a spouse. Mm -hmm. And the ranking that it gets, the rating is 100 out of 100 points. It's the top one. Yeah. And the next one down on that list, there's like 50 on the list. The next one down is divorce. And that jumps all the way down to 73 out of 100 points. So 100 out of 100 is on this stress scale. And again, that's mm -hmm. the Holmes-Rahe stress inventory test. 
So there's a lot of um, stress, anxiety, all of the things that come after loss that we don't know how to handle. Yeah. And then, yeah, like on top of that, like you had a, a little kid too, right? So it's like not only taking care of yourself, but a child too. And I don't think until I met you and heard you, I don't know any um, courses or anything out there for young widows. So this is it's a rare group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It is. Um, and so with my experience, um, and what happened to me, and I can, I can get into the story if you want me to. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. I didn't know if you were comfortable, but yeah. But so what happened with, with me, um, and it was, it was very sudden. Um, but my husband was invited to a bachelor party and he, it was in new Orleans. We live about an hour outside of new Orleans. And he was invited to this bachelor party and I told him, you know, go have a good time. It was on Saturday night and he was going to go spend one night and then come home. Um, so no big deal, right? Like kiss goodbye. Hi, you know, how do I look? You look great. Go have fun. You know, you're running late, that kind of thing. And then he was out the door. So prior to this, he had said he didn't really feel like going. And I and I was encouraging him to go because this was a man who never went out. Mm-hmm. Like he just loved staying home with mm-hmm. his girls. We had, we have a, had a daughter. She was um, t- two at the time. And, uh, you know, he was a homebody. He just loved to stay home, but he hadn't seen the guys in a while. And, I, and he was like, I'm going to go. And I was like, go have, have fun. Yeah. So he did. And um, he, we were on the phone with each other the whole way that he was there, that hour drive that he went to the party. And I told him, I said, text me when you get back to the hotel room, let me know that you're okay. So um, I went to my parents' house to go and spend the night that night with my daughter. Mm -hmm. And then he was at the party. And I remember waking up at like five o'clock in the morning and checking my phone, there was no text. And I was like, well, he's probably, he's either still out or he's just sleep and like went back to the room and fell asleep. Mm -hmm. But he was supposed to come home the next day to watch the Saints game that started at noon. So it was like 10 a.m. He wasn't there. I texted him. He didn't answer. 11 comes. Then noon comes and the game starts and he's still not home. So I was texting his friends, like, have you seen him? What's going on? Um, And they said, well, let me go check the room. So his friend goes into the room and he hadn't been back. He never went back to the room. So his friend called me and said, "Um, okay, I'm going to go to the police. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, bring Claire to your parents. You come down here, bring some pictures. And I was just like, what is happening? You know, what are you you talking about? So I did what he said. I mean, I called my parents and I said, um, can you watch Claire? Cause Brent is missing. Um, so my dad came with me, you know, of course mm-hmm. my dad came, my mom stayed home with Claire. So we go downtown. This is now like three o'clock in the afternoon. And, um, I brought some pictures. So everybody's retracing steps, like just going back to the bar, showing pictures, the police were there. Um, we just did that for probably four or five hours. By this time it was getting dark. And we had been trying to trace his phone. So I was on the phone with Sprint trying to figure that out. Yeah. How do we find his phone and like ping it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Finally, we got that done. And that was at around nine o'clock at night, I think. So we tracked his phone and it was in a junkyard, like three or four miles from where the bar was. So we all get in the cars, the police, everybody goes over there to this junkyard. Um, It's pitch black and it's barbed wire fence all around the top. There's like Dobermans and like Rottweilers running around in there and they're like barking underneath the fence. And so they called the fire department to come out and the fire trucks get out there and they put up the big ladders to um, with spotlights. 
Mm-hmm. And then there were shining spotlights all in there. We were just kind of, we couldn't get in because it was Sunday night. Yeah. So they couldn't get in touch with the owner. <clears throat> we couldn't actually get in there. And so they did the spotlight thing. They were trying and they, they would shut everything off and they would say, okay, Jennifer, we want you to call the phone. We're going to see if we can see it like, like lighting up in there. Of course that didn't work. It was huge. It was a yeah. huge junkyard. Um, so we did that for probably an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And then people started leaving and the uh, fire trucks left. And then two detectives came up to me and said, um, okay, ma'am, just try to go home and get some sleep um, and let us do our job. And I was like, what did he just say to me? Yeah. You know, I was like, I, I'm not leaving here. Mm-hmm. Where, where is my husband? I'm not leaving here without my husband. I'm like, it was like, it was like a line from a movie. It really was. He was like, Mm -hmm. hey ma'am, go home and get some sleep and let us do our job. I'm like, they really say that. Um, So I left with my dad, went back to my parents' house. And of course I wasn't sleeping. Of course I wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, I climbed in the bed with Claire and uh, my mom had set up the room with a little nightlight. Um, so I'm just kind of laying there and panicking. Like I have never felt in my life panic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was just kind of like rocking, (laughs) you know, like sitting in the bed and I was just like, give me a sign. I need a sign. Please give me a sign. Just let me know that you're okay. Give me a sign. And, um, out of the corner of my eye, there was a shadow from the nightlight. It was, there was like a a little plant or something on a dresser. I don't know, but on the wall, right in front of me across the bed, there was a silhouette of Brent. It was like, he was standing there mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm panicking and saying, give me a sign, give me a sign. And then I look over and I saw it and I was like, Nope, that's not what I want to see. I'm like, Nope, yeah. that's, not, that's not it. That's not the sign. <laughs> like, give me another sign. Give me a different one. (laughs) So it's like, okay. I look back over and I'm staring at it now. And I was just like, that is him, you know, um, the silhouette. And I just said, okay, you know, that's it. And like, I, it was like, my heart knew it at that Mm -hmm. time, but then my head was trying to argue that and say, no, that's not, that's not it. You know, he's, he's either in jail or he, you know, walked to a a different hotel and checked in like something. I was just trying Mm -hmm. to make sense of it. And in my heart, I knew it. Um, but the next day we got the call from the coroner's office to come down there. And so I went with my family. It was my mom, my dad, my brother, we went and, um, it was this big, long conference table and we walked in and sat down and there was a picture that was upside down on the table. And then they, he slid it across the table and he just said, we don't want to believe that this is your husband, but we're pretty sure this is your husband. And then they turned it over and they showed me and then they flipped it back over. And I was like, I want to, I said, I want to see that again. And he was like, no. And I said, well, I want to see him. Is he here? And they said, um, they said, no, he's in a different building and, and we're not going to, we're not going to do that. Um, Like they wouldn't let me see him. And I thought like, I thought you had a choice in that, you know, like, I was like, how did they tell you? No, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like, yeah, who makes that decision? I wanted to see, like, I just felt like I needed that proof. You know, my Mm -hmm. head was not understanding it. My head did not get it. So, um, I'm like, this is not, this is not right. And I went into a total shock and I just said, I said something really stupid. Like, no, I said, we're, we're going to the pumpkin patch today. Cause this was October. Mm -hmm. This was October 15th of 2011. And we were supposed to go to the pumpkin patch with Claire and Mm car pumpkins. And I said, no, I'm like, that's what we're doing today. And I just went into complete shock. 
I stood up, we walked out. I felt like I was going to pass out. My brother was holding me. My dad was holding me. And then, and then the nightmare really began. Mm -hmm. But what had happened was Brent had left the bar at about 4.30. He was tired. Like I said, he never went out. Yeah. (laughs) He never went out. He was not a party guy. (laughs) He had some drinks. He went like this to the guys, like I'm going, you know, and he left, but he left by himself and he walked out and he took a wrong turn. He went left down the street. He was on Bourbon Street. He he walked a block and then he turned left. He was supposed to turn right to go to the hotel. When he took, took a left, it was a very dark street and it was a very dark side street and a guy had followed him. Uh, when he left the bar. So this person followed him and hit him on the head, robbed him, took his wallet, took his phone. So he was left on the sidewalk with nothing, um, which is why they couldn't identify him. Oh. But um, but he, he died on the sidewalk. Oh. So um, this person... Um, the detectives that I was telling you about, they were amazing. They ended up, and it took a few weeks, but they did track him down. They found, they found out who it was. They also found out that he had tried to, you know, run away. He went to stay with some relatives in Missouri, but the relatives turned him in. So they, um, they brought him back to Louisiana and he was in jail and has been in jail. Um, but that was a whole other, a whole other part to the trauma that I was going through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was not just the loss of my husband. That's a hundred out of a hundred. Yeah. But the loss because of the brutality of what it was that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, just unimaginable to me, you know. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't understand. I, I, I you know, how do you explain that? Yeah. So, um, yeah. That, um, that part of it was a whole other, you know, mental thing to wrap my head around. I had to deal with trial. I was just going to ask it to go to trial. Yeah. (laughs) And, and it was a long drawn out process. It's not, it's not a quick system that we have, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it was, uh, we had presented a plea deal from the get-go, but it was rejected. And then it was trial dates were set and then they needed more evidence and then trial dates were set and then more things happened and then more trial dates. And it just kept getting postponed by like three to four month increments Mm -hmm. for for four years. So it was like, I would mentally prepare myself for going to trial and then it would get postponed. And then I would have to like build myself up again to be able to face that. And then it would get postponed again. And that was my life for four years. I felt like I couldn't, I was trapped in this cycle of, I I don't even know, you know, I couldn't move forward without putting that chapter behind me. um, And it wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was a tough time. It was a really hard time with that. Um, In the end though, um, 2015 so it was October of 2015 was when he accepted the plea deal after all of that yeah so I did not have to go to trial and for that I am very thankful for that I am so thankful because Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure if I could have made it through that you know yeah I I don't I think I could have Mm -hmm. (laughs) but at the same time I'm so grateful that I did not have to do that you know? Yeah. Um, so the, um, that time period after, uh, after he was killed, there was this, um, you know, all of the time of taking care of the business side of things and what to do with 
bills and just the day to day, you know, I mean, I had a two-year-old, I'm still a mom. Yeah. I have to still be a mom. I have to still sit down and like play the board games and, you know, do Mm -hmm. whatever. It's like, I, I get the meals done, get this done. Um, figure out if I have to go and see an attorney, I have to find daycare. Like I have to find, yeah, it was just a lot to juggle. There's a lot to take care of after. Um, but one of the other things that happened after he was killed, this was two weeks after, um, my mom was running some errands one day and she said, Hey, come and meet me. We're going to, I'm going to go do this and this, come and meet me at the McDonald's on the corner of whatever, whatever. And I said, okay, I can do that. I'll do that. This was a week after the funeral. And so uh, I had Claire with me and we met her. We met my mom at the McDonald's and we had ordered our food. Now Claire was potty training. She was in the the middle of that, which kind of got disrupted a huge (laughs) amount. Um, So she's in her little pull-up and we're sitting there and she said, I gotta go potty. So she goes to the bathroom with my mom. They went in there and while they were in there and still, I'm still in a state of shock, you know, I'm still just sitting there like, what is happening? But I heard this behind the counter, the, the workers were talking and they were kind of um, getting louder and louder behind the counter. And I was just like, something's going on over there. So I'm looking and I heard one of them say, oh, he's, he's coming this way. He's coming this way. And I'm sitting there like eating my fries and out of the window right here, this police car screeches up to a stop. The policeman jumps out with a gun, runs into the McDonald's, goes into the men's bathroom. And then he comes back out, jumps in the car and then screeches away. And I'm just like eating my fries, just like in total what is going on land yeah and like and then and then my mom comes out with Claire and she's like guess who went to potty like just singing this happy day (laughs) and I was like like they had no idea what was happening yeah um and I just I broke down and like had this awful breakdown like in the McDonald's I was crying and I just said oh my God, like this just happened. This just happened. And this is out like the sleepy town USA, Mm -hmm. like nothing happens in this neighborhood that we were in. And this person had robbed the bank across the street from the McDonald's and he had run over by the McDonald's to go and hide. Like, I, I just, I didn't know how to process. Yeah all of the violence and the things that were happening around me. And I felt like I was being crushed mm-hmm. and I lost it in that McDonald's. My mom grabbed my shoulders, walked me outside to the front in front of the McDonald's. And she was just trying to hold me because mm-hmm. I was just like physically shaking so bad. And yeah. I just said, I said, I, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. I think I just kept saying that. And she was like, breathe, just take some breaths. And, um, and Claire, I remember there was these little yellow butterflies flying all around in front of the McDonald's. And, and she's just oh, like, no. play, she's like playing in the butterflies, yeah. and jumping around. And, um, and so I'm standing there and this guy in a minivan, you know how, when somebody, they don't have your fries ready and they tell you to pull up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So he's in a a white minivan and he's got the wife and all the kids in the back. Like it's a crowded minivan. And he's, he's sitting right there watching me have this breakdown. And and he like, the window was kind of down, like halfway down. And he was like, excuse me. He's like, excuse me. You have a beautiful daughter. And, and I was like, I said, Oh my God. Uh, and I looked at him like, I'm like, that's kind of a weird thing to say, you know? Yeah. But then, but then I was like, okay, I'm looking, he's got his wife and all the kids in the car. And, and then I was like, wait, he's right. I'm like, I do. I'm like, I have a beautiful daughter. She's right here. It's okay. We're going to be okay. Like, it was kind of like this divine message. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, like, why else would this man say that to me? It yeah, totally, it totally calmed me down and took me out of my craziness. 
and made me focus on what was important. And I was like, oh my God, he's right. He's right. Um, so I left the McDonald's, did not run the errands with my mom, went straight home and I bought a plane ticket for us to go to um, Turks and Caicos. This is the Providencialis is the island um, that Brent and I used to go to for vacation. That was our happy place. Aww. We would go to this, um, you know, it's so peaceful, so quiet, just beautiful, calm um, on the beach. And that's where we would go like two or three times a year just to go get away. Mm-hmm. I said, I said, I got to go there. I need to go. Um, I scheduled it for, I said, Claire and I are going to go down there for like a week and a half, two weeks. And I just, I just need to get away from everything for a little bit. And so we did, we went down there. Um, I scheduled it for Thanksgiving because I didn't want to be home for Thanksgiving. And I didn't, I didn't want to be around the normal things that we were supposed to be doing that were not going to feel, feel normal. So I said, I'm, I'm just going to do something different. So I went down there. My really good friend came down with me. Um, she said, I'm not going to let you go alone. She's like, if you're going to go there for peace and quiet, let me come. And then I can watch Claire while you go walk on the beach or while you go sit by the pool or whatever it is you need to do. Um, and so she did, she's awesome. She came down for like a week, but I told her like on the second day, I said, I feel like I want to live here. And she was like, okay. And she said, she's, she's an engineer. So she's super type a, she's awesome. And at that time, you know, I was, I'm like, I can't think about, I can't think about anything. I just know what I'm feeling right now. And I feel like I want to be here. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, let me take a look at things. I'll see if we can make this work, you know, like financially, um, if I could rent a place and be down there and so she did, she looked at all my stuff and then she, she, like that night. And she was like, Jen, I think we can make this work. I think, I think you can do this. If you can find a place for this amount of money, like you can make it work. And I was like, okay. So I think the very next day was when I, I said, you know, I'm going to go for a walk. So I went for a walk and there's this little part of town that's like the town square. And it has um, a bunch of shops and bakeries and stuff. And there's a Century 21 office there. So they have all the pictures on the outside of the window mm-hmm. with all the places to rent. And I just walked into this office and I, there was a, a woman sitting at the desk and I just walked up to the desk and I said, um, I think I want to live here for like a year. And I just started crying, like just started crying in front of this woman. <laughs> she, and she was like, okay. And so she stood up, she stood up, she came around the desk and she gave me this big giant hug, like just hugged me and did not know me for anything. Like she just was just like, okay, just hug. And then she's like, okay, let's sit down and, and let's talk. And this woman talked to me for like two and a half hours out of her day. Just talk to me about life and, and God and Claire and like just all these different things. And then she said, okay, let's, let's see if we can find you a place. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I said, this was, and this was November. I, I found a place in that week that I was down there. And then, um, I signed a lease for January 1st and I said, um, you know, I had to go home after that trip. And I told my parents that I was going to go down there. And I said, I'm going to go and, and stay for a year. And my dad was like, are you sure you want to go for a whole year? He's like, maybe, (laughs) maybe just six months. And I was like, no, I said, I think, I think it's got to be a year because like I said, the Thanksgivings and the Christmases and Mother's Day, Father's Mm -hmm. Day, Valentine's Day coming up, just all of these different holidays and those firsts in that first year trying to get through. Um, and I, I didn't want to be reminded, like, I just didn't want, I wanted to kind of control what I could control Yeah, because with grief, there's so much of everything that is just out of our control. And I was trying to do what I could do to just make myself feel better. And none of the choices that I was made, I was 
moving to an island where I didn't know a single person, but I felt in everything in me that that was where I needed to be. Logically, it made zero sense. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was like, I've never been a person to just follow my heart and my instincts like that. I usually let my my brain and my, my logical thinking take over. But I was like, not in this case, I'm doing what I feel like I need to do because I, yeah. I am, I am flailing here. I am not doing well and I don't know what to do about it. So I w- did some pretty radical things. And, and I just, the other part of that was that my parents who are angels on earth, my parents are the best parents ever. And they said, why don't you come and stay with us? Just come and live with us and we'll help you with Claire. We'll help you while you, you know, get better. And, and I so easily could have done that. I so Mm -hmm. easily could have taken that route and moved in with them and curled up in a ball in my bedroom for however long they would let me, because they would let me do it, you know, and they would, and they would take care of Claire. They would do that in a heartbeat. But I was like, I'm, I'm still the mom. Like I have to figure this out. You know, I have to, I have to figure out how to be a solo mom. And I don't want to miss any more of her life. I felt like I had just zoned out and missed out on like a month of her life or Mm -hmm. however long it was six weeks. I said, I, I have to focus on her and focus on us and and get this figured out. And I'm not going to be able to do that if I'm here, you know, if I have that to fall back on, um, I needed to stand on my own two feet. And so that was the other part of it. Um, so January 1st, we packed four big giant suitcases and we moved down there. Most of it was toys. (laughs) Most of it was toys. Yeah. They didn't, I mean, they don't have, a, they don't have a lot down there. And I tell this story and it's like, I don't think I've told this story on a podcast before, but I didn't have any room in my luggage for clothes for me. Um, because I was packing all these toys and stuff for her. And like, mm-hmm. I, I had, I had done inventory at our little place. I was like, I need a wine bottle opener. That's gotta be in there. I have to pack, uh, uh, a little crock pot, you know, like I needed things down. Mm -hmm. So I ended up wearing like all of my clothes at the same time for the, for the flight. Oh, wow. For the flight down there. I put on shirt, 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 shirt. I was wearing like 25 shirts on that flight down there. (laughs) (laughs) I, I didn't have room in my suitcase. So I looked like this crazy person I had on like 10 pairs of underwear and like three bathing suit bottoms like underneath my pants (laughs) (laughs) because I couldn't fit it in my suitcase I was like I'm just gonna wear everything yeah you know I'm like what are they gonna tell me you know what are they gonna say you can't wear that shirt you can't wear that Uh shirt so I literally had on like 20 shirts um I looked ridiculous but I didn't even care I was like I don't care I don't care Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we got down there. Um, we ended up staying for a year and then the year went by and I wasn't ready to come back. So we stayed for another year and then, uh, I still wasn't ready to come back. So we stayed another like six, seven months or so. And Mm -hmm. then at that point she was starting kindergarten. So I said, this is a good time for us to go back. This can be like the starting point back into the real world, you know? So it was a lot of healing time down there. um, A lot of bonding time with the two of us and trying to figure out, you know, what this next chapter was going to look like, but enjoying the moment with her while I could just living in the day and trying not to focus too much on the future mm-hmm. because when I would do that is when I would start to get scared again and start to get anxious. And, um, that just, that unknown, um, of what, what life was going to look like, you know? Yeah. And so it was, a 
it was um, a pretty heartbreaking time, but yeah. also um, very, um, there's a lot of times of self-discovery in there, you know, and that's what I needed to do. I needed to kind of re-identify with who I am and who I want to be. Um, and a lot of that, a lot of people go through that with, um, with grief is just trying to re-identify with who they are and figure out the next chapter. All right. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. I'm sorry. There's a lot to, (laughs) no, no, thank you. Where did you, how did you come up with the idea then to start your business in a podcast? Did it just evolve or? So I was kind of late into the podcasting game and that didn't come into my world until probably like 2018, I think Mm -hmm. is when I started to think about it. And I have this awesome local widows group. Um, That's my widow girls, my go-tos. And there's, we went to dinner one night and I was like, we should start a podcast. And they were all excited about it. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. And then like, two months goes by, everybody has kids, everybody's busy, you know? Yeah. And then I'm like, let's do a podcast. Yes, let's do it. You know, and nothing would happen, but it was so on my heart. And I felt like I, I was being called to do it. Mm-hmm. So finally, I mean, this was like, I don't know, 18 months in the making. I, I finally got the courage to just do it myself. I was like, that's it. I'm just going to do it myself. And so I bought the equipment. And then I actually interviewed those girls in my group. Those were my Mm -hmm. first interviews. Cause I was like, I need to just kind of practice a little bit, but I got their stories. And then I started to reach out to widows that I found on Instagram and widows that they connected me to. Um, And then I would just start asking around and, um, oh, this person would be good on the podcast. This person would be good. So for like six, the first six months I did interviews only. And then finally I had built up the courage to start doing some solo episodes. So I started to put that out there. And as I was talking to all of these women, um, I just saw these repeated patterns of, you know, um, all the different struggles and my, the thing that I love to hear, the stories that I love to hear are, um, you know, how did you get through it? How did you cope? Mm -hmm. What did you turn to? And a lot of times, uh, we turn to these coping mechanisms that are not healthy. Um, yeah. you know, we start drinking more, um, just trying to squish down the pain or push it aside or whatever. Um, a lot of people really throw themselves into work and they just work, 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 work. Cause they don't want to face what they're going to go home to. Um, and so I I'm talking to all these women and, uh, and, the feedback that I get from the, from the podcast is that they like to hear, they like to hear that this person struggled with this too. And, you know, that's kind of what I'm going through, but then they got over it this way. And, um, and so maybe I can try that. Like they just mm-hmm. get inspired, they get inspired and they start to take action because they see these examples of these women who have walked the path before them. And they're like, oh my gosh, she did it. So I could do that too. And so, um, I, the basis, that's the basis of, of widow 180, the podcast is to have, is to have that, but then that also started getting me thinking, okay, we need a group so that we can talk about this. And that's when the widow squad came into the picture. I had met these other couple of widows and, um, and they were doing really inspiring things. And so we, um, we decided to start this online community and, we are branching out this year. We're going to start doing some in-person retreats. So I'm very excited oh. about that. Um, that's finally happening. Yeah. But we we meet once a week. We do our Zoom calls. Everybody is everywhere across the United States and mm-hmm. even beyond. Um, but we, um, we have a guest speaker that comes in once a month. Um, we do like we're doing a vision board workshop this Saturday. Um, we have just a lot of different topics that come up, come yeah. up like dating. We have a whole dating thing coming up in February. Um, and, um, and then I just, 
I feel like this, this coaching part of it is, um, it's, it's helpful for me. It's still, mm-hmm. it's still helpful for me and yeah. heal, and healing for me to do all of these things. But I feel like, um, it's like I said before, it's definitely been like the most fulfilling work and the most meaningful work for me that I have ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, this is definitely needed. I think, like I said at the beginning, I've never, um, heard of a group, you know, supporting other widowers. So you're doing really great things. Thank you. Um, Yeah. Can, are there any like strategies maybe you could share, um, for widow, widow, widowers, um, like Mm -hmm. unpacking their grief or trying to process through it that they could try or do? Yes. So definitely the thing I mentioned before about the coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, what I talk about a lot is that like grief is like this, it's like this pent up energy inside of you almost. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of it is anxiety, but it needs somewhere to go in whatever way you're going to do that. You can't squish it down and push it down and hide it with all of these things like drugs, alcohol, all the things you're trying to mm-hmm. do on yourself. Um, you have to find a healthy coping mechanism. And there are so many out there. There are so many ways to do this yoga. I mean, Mm -hmm. talk about that for days, right? Yeah. That was a huge part of my healing was yoga. I was introduced at that around that time to um, yoga and bar. I was doing all of these things. Um, Meditation, um, getting yourself into a routine a morning routine, a nighttime routine, mm-hmm. any routine that's going to give you some kind of structure and make you feel in control. Um, but the other thing is that support that you need trying right, to do yeah. it on your own, trying to do it on your own, um, is you feel isolated to begin with. You feel like you're like, nobody understands you. Um, and finding other people who you can be like, oh yeah, oh, she's got it too. Yes, me too. You know, it's that whole me mm-hmm. too. Like, yes, this is normal. Is this normal? That's what we want to know. We want to feel validated. Um, and so health, the health things, the coping mechanisms, um, and finding your support and, and then really turning inward and trying to figure out who you are again, because mm-hmm. depending on what, what stage you are in life. Um, for me, I was 35, but I had been, Brent and I had been together for 11 years. So I was, I was a wife. I was a mom. I was, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about having a second baby here. I am, I'm, you know, a working career woman. I'm on a path. This is my life. I had it all planned. And then I'm not, Yeah. you know, and, and that part of it is that, that reconnecting with yourself and figuring out who you are again, you have to find yourself again and you have to give yourself the time to do it. And we don't often do that. We don't mm-hmm. have, we don't have the time to give ourselves the time yeah. to reconnect with ourselves. I mean, I mm-hmm. had a two-year-old, you know, it's like, I have zero time to grieve. Like I have to schedule it. I have to compartmentalize my time so that I can, you know, be the mom and take care of the house and do all the things. But I need that time for me too to figure myself out again. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's tricky. It's difficult. You have to figure that part out too. It's a lot of time management when you have young ones, when you have little ones. Yeah. You, you mentioned about the holidays too, and how you wrote, um, you wrote a book about it, like grief in the holidays, how, okay. This is kind of a two part. So how would you tell someone, give them help to navigate that, but also like, um, a friend or family that wants to support someone are the, the right and wrong things to say, I guess. Yes. Uh, the main, the main thing is to not have to not put too much pressure on yourself mm-hmm. to, to keep it all the same. 
because a lot of times we have we have these traditions, we have these holiday traditions, and yeah. you know, we always go the day after Thanksgiving to go and get the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's something that you all did, and I found myself in that situation my first year, it was a freaking disaster. Mm-hmm. I tried to keep it the same, and I went to the same Christmas tree lot that we always went to to get our trees. And it was so triggering for me. Yeah. Doing mm-hmm. that myself. And I go to get the tree and I'm like, I can't pick up that tree. So what am I thinking? I'm trying mm-hmm. to get it. Like he's always the one that's up there putting the tree on top and tying everything down. I can't pick that up. Yeah. So we had to go from the big tree section. We went over to the little Charlie Brown trees. <laughs> You know, and I got this little three foot tree that I could handle and put that in the back of the car. And then not only that, so that whole experience was triggering. Then I get the tree home and then the whole decorating part of it. There's so much of that. That is, it's everything is, is around family. Mm -hmm. So I tell people like, do what feels right. Not what feels forced. If Mm -hmm. you don't feel like you are up to the task of taking all the decorations out, don't do it. Yeah. And we feel like we need to do these things for the kids. And like, really, Mm -hmm. 90% of the time, the kids don't really care either. Mm -hmm. Either they're teenagers and they don't care. Or, you know, they don't care if you take out every single thing. Maybe just take out a handful of things. Um, Or the super little ones, um, you know. Santa Claus is very important. So I, I definitely did that, but, um, but otherwise like putting up the lights outside and on the bushes mm-hmm. in front of the house, uh-uh. I said, I would love to do it, but I'm not doing it. Yeah. And, and, and we feel, we also feel this expectation that other people expect us to participate mm-hmm. as we would normally in family events. And I usually tell people, you know, you can feel fine that day, but even in like that hour before you're supposed to go and give everybody a heads up, like let them know, you know, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel. So I'm just letting you know, if I, if I walk into the house and I need to leave 20 minutes later, that's, that's how I'm feeling. And, you know, you can say, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, but I, this is how I'm feeling. And I hope you understand. Yeah. And not, and not feel guilted into doing what other people expect you to do mm-hmm. um, because it's the right thing to do, you know? Yeah. It's so much just following your heart logically. Yes. If you're the grandma, you want to be there, you want to do mm-hmm. the presence, but just in your heart, if you can't, if you can't do it, you know, next year will be different. Next year mm-hmm. might be totally different, but maybe this year, like this first year, it's going to be this way. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just no telling. There's no telling how you're going to feel until you get there in the moment. That's the hard part, yeah. you know? So that's the, the holidays are very tricky. Yeah. I can't. There's I'm so much in the past that you think about. There's so many memories that come up you know, revolving mm-hmm. around the holidays and it's, it's a tough time to get through. It really is. Yeah. This it's not close to like losing a spouse, but we lost my mother-in-law this year or last year. So this was the first holiday without her. And it's really hard on my husband yeah. seeing that. And my sister-in-law yes. especially was really hard on her. So yeah. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. There's so many memories. Yeah. And you can look back and you can be so grateful that you had all those memories, mm-hmm. but it doesn't always feel that way. You don't always feel the grateful and that's, and that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's, okay, it's okay to be sad. Yeah. You know, you miss your person, you miss your mm-hmm. mother-in-law. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. So you can feel both. That's, that's yeah. the other thing. You can feel happy because of those memories and you can still feel sad. And that's the crazy part about being a human is that you can feel both at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know. That's what I always try to tell my kids because, you know, like it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel mad and angry, you know, like feel your feelings. Yeah. 
It's very important. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So you mentioned uh, morning and night routine. Um, are you comfortable sharing what you do for your morning and night routine with us? Well, it is different now. Um, mm-hmm. At first, in that in that first year and two years after we lost Brent, um, I did have my nighttime routine was um, I love to read. I do. I'm just a mm-hmm. book nerd. And especially I, I, like I throw myself into self-help. That's my section. That's yeah. my go-to is like, I need help. <laughs> you know. So, um, but I would, I would read, I, I would read for probably like an hour before bed. Cause that was also very calming for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe the words weren't always sinking in. And I had a lot of thoughts that would start cropping up at night. And that's when the anxiety, this nighttime anxiety would come in but reading always calmed me down. So that was one thing that I did for that hour before I would go to sleep. Um, journaling, I would journal like crazy. Um, I also did that for probably the 30 minutes before I would get in bed and read, I was journaling, mm-hmm. um, to just kind of get out what I was, what, had, what I had felt that day. That was such a release for me. Like I said, I get the pent up grief in there and you got to get it out. So yeah. uh, in the mornings I would do, um, I would go to my yoga class. If I didn't have yoga, um, I would walk, I walk, oh gosh, my walks, they saved me being outside because I would do my walks outside mm-hmm. and um getting fresh air, feeling the breeze. And that was also a huge part of my routine. My healing routine um, was to get out and walk and Mm -hmm. have that time to either think about things or not think about things or kind of meditate on things as I was walking. Um, So mornings were my walks. Nighttime is the reading and the just trying to calm myself down. Cause like I said, the night nighttime was the hardest time with the, with the anxiety for me. Yeah. Having that, having that routine was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where can people find you? Okay. So widow 180, the podcast, and you can also go to widow 180.com because I have a lot of blog posts on there. I have resources mm-hmm. on there. Um, but you can go to widow squad also widow squad.com. That's our online community that I was talking about to, um, to get information there. I also have information on widow 180.com. Um, and I'm on Instagram at widow 180 and I have my free Facebook community and that's widow 180 community with Jen's wink. And you can find me on Facebook and join there. So several places. Yeah. Yeah. All this will be in the show notes too. So you could just go in the show notes too. Um, and yeah, I was reading some of your blogs too, and they're really good. They're really inspiring too. It was, I like the six things I've learned from interviewing 50 widows. Yeah. I need to update that. I'm up to like a (laughs) hundred and something widows now. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So I, I really love to, I love to, um, I love to learn, you know, I feel mm-hmm. like that that's what keeps me going too. That's, that's one of the, one of the other little tips you were talking about, you know, find something, find your purpose. And I, yeah. I love to learn. So that's what keeps me going. And, um, the blog's been fun and the podcast has been amazing and all of it. It's like I said, it's opened up all these different doors for me. And I never in a million years would have thought I would be doing this 10 yeah. years ago, you know? Well, thank you for doing it for everyone. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us and with all the listeners. And it was really nice meeting you. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. This has been, this has been good. I'm so, I'm so glad. I love your podcast. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And then um, I was checking out your Instagram too. It's, it's, you got some helpful yoga things on there. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my Instagram it's I'm trying fine. to the they say like do reels and stuff and I'm like oh, okay <laughs> I know it's tricky it's hard yeah <laughs> but it's it's fun so thank you for your podcast too thank you thanks guys for tuning in to 
this week's episode of Fit, Fun, and Frazzled. Again, all of Jen's information will be in my show notes. Make sure to check her out on Instagram and her website. Again, share this with someone you think that needs to hear this and get in contact with Jen. And as always, remember to take care of yourself this week. Nurture yourself. Put on your oxygen mask first. Have a great week, guys.